welcome to another late night edition of uh, At the Devil's Ball. Uh, I am Nathaniel. And I'm Samuel. And we're wrapping up the, oh, we're the podcast where we talk about horror, uh, horror and genre films in a positive and constructive manner. Um, I've been up for uh, 15 hours, so I'm a little tired. But um, this is the end of our Christmas month. Right. But it's also kind of doubling as the beginning of Haunted House Month, mm. um, which is kind of cool. Um, but we're going to be covering, um, the legend of hell house, uh, a, uh, really, really interesting film. Uh, Sam, you had never seen this one before. No, no. Okay. Um, I'd read the book that it was based on before. Oh, you had read the book. Seen, okay. I hadn't had seen the movie. No. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, the book uh, based on the novel, uh, hell house by Richard Matheson, who also wrote the screenplay. Um, and, um, I'll just let Sam do the vitals and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into this conversation. Yep. Uh, Legend of Hell House was released in 1973, uh, directed by John Huff, uh, written by Richard Matheson, who did the screenplay and the book it was based upon, uh, starring Roddy McDowell as Ben Fisher, Gail Honeycutt as Anne, Pamela Franklin as Flor- Florence Tanner, Clive Reville as Dr. Barrett, Roland Culver as Mr. Deutsch. Peter Bowles as Hanley and Michael Goff as Emmerich Belasco. He sits uh, in a chair. Yeah, he sits in a chair and uh, it's not a blink and you'll miss a cameo, but it was, you know, it was a, unexpected to see him show up all of a sudden. Uh, I've seen this movie a million. Right. I've seen this movie a million times and I didn't never, it never occurred to me that it was Michael Gow until this right. time. And I was like, oh my God, that's Michael Gow. Right. And he sits in a chair. Yep. Um, but yeah. A uh, very small crew too on this one, um, right. rather remarkably so. Um, I was going to say well, I would like to call out uh, Alan Hume, mm-hmm. the film's director of photography, um, and um, set designs by Robert Jones, Kenneth McCallum Tate. Uh, mm-hmm. Great work on that too, and uh, this one I think deserves a music shout out of. Um, yeah. Uh, Electrophon Limited uh, of Delia Derbyshire and Brian Hodgson. Um, all right. So I guess I'll start with that then, Sam. So you'd never seen the film. No, I was not aware you read the book. I actually read the book for the first time, I think, a year and a half ago. I read it um, in like middle school and I don't remember much about it. So please uh, well, I read it a year and a half ago. And I don't, yeah, yeah. Right. I, well, I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I'm like, uh, what's right. funny about it is I read it about a year and a half ago, but I've seen this movie like a million times and mm-hmm. so even though i read the book a year and a half ago so much of the film bleeds into it right that i can't quite remember um what was it yeah, that makes sense wasn't i do think that if memory serves the idea is that um everything in the movie was in the book but not everything in the book was in the movie it's another right. one of those examples but so if you've never seen the film what was your mm-hmm. uh initial reaction to it what uh what did you think uh i really dug it i mean you know it's uh it's a nice tight, you know, thriller with a, a pretty remarkable cast. Um, and I think they would, it did well as, you know, building tension and um, being uh, different yet similar to, you know, stuff like The Haunting. Um, you know, it didn't, uh, it obviously knows that it's, you know, inspired by it, but it, does, it wasn't trying to ape it or, or do the same thing. Um, Right. Which I appreciated. You know, Richard Matheson is one of the best, you know, screenwriters we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um as far as doing horror and and science fiction. 
um, he's pretty unrivaled. I mean, you know, he did a bunch of episodes of the Twilight Zone, and you know, mm-hmm. I am I am Legend. Uh, he wrote the book for that. Uh, you know, I so I really enjoyed it. Um, I love Roddy McDowell uh, in anything, right? Really, you know. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, it, the ending's a little abrupt. Yeah, but uh, it's a weird ending. It's a yeah. weird ending in the book too. But uh, you know, because right. it's basically the same ending. But yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, literally, the movie is more or less solved by Roddy McDowell calling the ghost a pussy. Right. And um and they'll call them short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's a metaphor, isn't it? Like, right. you know, yeah, it's, it's you know it what totally he's, is. Yeah, what he's really doing is saying you had a really tiny dick. Um, right. you know. Um because this movie is um it's pretty horny. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty horny movie. Right. Um uh all about in my my read on it and the book it uh where it's all about sexual repression. Right. And um and it's it's interesting in that respect um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean so um this has been a favorite of mine for for very many years it's not it's not the best haunted house movie but it's probably my favorite haunted house movie okay um i have loved this movie since i was a teenager Mm -hmm. um i rented the vhs tape uh early on when i started watching horror and i absolutely loved it didn't get it at the time Right. Not really. I, I just understood it was a fun ghost movie. Uh, and then years later, was watching it going, oh, my, wow, this is really brilliant. Right. Um, and then this time around, what I was really taken by, which is why I wanted to call out the the DP, mm-hmm. was <clears throat> I was watching it just now. And um, every once in a while, just being really uh, amazed by some of the camera work. Like, right. um, it's such a well photographed uh, and put together film yeah. um, that there were shots and even uh, in camera effects that I was like, wow, that, that's incredible. Like, um, it's uh, Florence Tanner. Uh, at one point, she's being uh, yelled at by the ghost mm-hmm. and they do that uh, spiral effect. The camera right. starts spinning, 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 and then it sort of reverses. Uh, it's going clockwise and then it goes counterclockwise and then writes itself right as she enters the room and slams the door and i was just like i i like just literally said out loud like wow yeah um and then like the way that scene is framed like they there's a couple moments where he where um they divide the frame Mm -hmm. uh with a diagonal cut it's always an object but um there's this diagonal line kind of in between all of it that gives it this fractured feel uh it's never centered it's always diagonal um right. and i i just kept being like the and so they would use objects to cut off part of the frame it was really uh i was just watching it i'm like wow holy shit this is really really good looking yeah um and uh, so that was the thing that I took away this time um mm-hmm. in particular what was the what was the number one thing that i think that you took away like what was your Big, um, um, well, I mean, I'm on on the few notes that I wrote down before starting starting this recording today. Um, I, I wrote sexual refraction really big, and, and, yeah, and circled it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that was the big takeaway. I didn't I didn't really expect the movie to be uh, 
you know, knowing it was a British pedigree, you know, I guess I didn't really expect it to be as horny as it was. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and, you know, because it wasn't like, you know, Hammer. You come to expect it from like Hammer or something like that. And I yeah. guess, uh, you know, it's just. Um, yeah, Hammer was wanted to be like, yeah. Right. Like opulent um, and. Right. Sensory, and, yeah. And this this one, you know, it's um, deals so much with, you know, repression and. uh just kind of um i don't know just uh trying to think of the right word um because you know the they have the two psychics and uh one's uh one's a spiritual medium and one's a, a physical medium and neither of them are really you know that rip raring to go but uh, mm-hmm. uh roddy mcdowell's uh, character um is actively you know like avoiding it he, he mm-hmm. doesn't want even though that's the whole reason he's here yeah um you know ben fisher is like no i, I can't you know do it yet I, I i'm not ready yeah um you know so that was that was kind of cool um, mm-hmm. yeah fisher is um one of my uh one of my all-time favorite right um uh, characters i think in horror uh, this be if nothing else, I like not only because of what Roddy McDowell does with him because I think he, mm-hmm. he, it's an extraordinary performance. But oh, for sure. Um, but the character in and of itself, I love the idea of psychic got burned, ain't right. gonna do psychic again. Right. Um, but you know, and then goes back to the scene of where he got burned and is just mm-hmm. like, I am just going to sit here mm-hmm. and do nothing. Right. Um, it's such a fantastic uh character concept. Uh, just really speaks to me for whatever reason. Right. Um, and I just, uh, the way McDowell plays him um, with this whole reluctance, um, but also knowledge. Uh, he's mm-hmm. not a naive character. Um, right. He is, uh, there's wonderful, wonderful monologues by him in this movie. Um, a couple uh, early on, they're kind of broken up. They're not exactly monologues. Someone mm-hmm. will ask a question and he'll answer right. it, but he's doing all the work in the scene. Um, and um, he has this wonderful, like there's a moment where um, uh, Lionel says, like, I believe, you know, a lot about this house. You should probably tell us. And he looks at him like, what, you don't know. Right. Like, he's so annoyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just says, all right, I will tell you. Uh, it's the worst story you've ever heard. Um, And he just has this wonderful, um, I I can never get enough of the, the list of atrocities, the way he just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of fact about it. Yeah. Like, you know, what ended them? Well, nothing did. That's why we're here. Yeah. yeah. If it had ended, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's got some, he just has some wonderful line deliveries in this movie. And, um, uh, and I still say one of the most startled I've ever been watching a movie is the mm. when he finally does open himself up. Right. Uh, he sits in his chair and he sits back and closes his eyes and it seems to take a long time. They let the camera right. linger on him with that wonderful close up and all of a sudden just lurch forward right at the camera and just start screaming. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of the most startled I think I've ever been. Um Two moments of this movie startled me when I first watched it, and they still have some effect today, which is that. And after the um, the assault on Florence Tanner, right, when they go to to check on her, and she sort of she turns around a little bit too fast, 
mm-hmm. like she they Lionel puts his hand on her shoulder and she turns a little more quickly than you might expect with that crazy look in her face. And mm-hmm. that I remember that scaring the hell out of me as a little kid. As a teenager, I was like, oh my God, that's that's terrifying. Um, I don't think even as a teen I understood what was really going on in that scene, at right. least not the the true horror of it. But um whatever reason that like just really startled me the way the slow the smile slowly creeps onto her mm. face she starts giggling and i'm like that's fucked up um and that frightens me um but yeah like it's it's always been it's been a part of my life probably since i was a teenager i i bought the vhs tape one of the first times when video stores were closing down um I would go in and I like I remember like the first day they were like, we're having a clearance. So I walked in and there's Legend of Hell. I'm like, yep, taking that. Right. Um, and uh, now I've got the Blu-ray. Uh, and I'm upset because the Blu-ray box says um, there's an audio interview with um, uh, what's her name? Um, she played Florence Tanner. Uh, Pamela Franklin. Pamela Franklin. It's actually a commentary track. And I'm like, I've had this Blu-ray for like forever and i've never Mm. watched this audio commentary so now i'm gonna have to do that at some point but um but the box doesn't say it's an audio commentary just as audio interview so i thought it was like well i don't care about that but if it's attached to the movie uh but you gotta look out for those special features yeah on uh on the box same thing with um um uh uh house on haunted hill the remake Mm. uh doesn't on the box it doesn't say there's an audio commentary there is Oh. In the yeah, it's really weird. It just right. doesn't say there is one, but William Malone, the director, does a commentary right. track on it. It's but, really weird because uh, Scream Factory usually, you know, touts their 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 yeah. features, you know, pretty yeah. heavily. Yeah, it's just on that one, it's missing. They just don't say there's mm. a commentary track. They say all the other stuff, um, right? But um, but yeah, for the right reason, that one and this one don't outright state there's a commentary track. Mm. There's just weird. like special features or this um but yeah i uh i've i've just always dug this film so i was really excited to do it um where else should we where should we go next to to breaking this thing down well i mean you know with ben fisher's character um Mm -hmm. um first you know first of all like you know ronnie mcdowell like you said you know is, is carrying the movie um Mm. on his back you know for the most part um and you know he's not surrounded by schlubs either i mean these are no pamela franklin's very good in this right yeah. yeah yeah um these are good performances across the board um but uh, coming so soon after doing uh 13 ghosts i couldn't help but like uh <laughs> compare and contrast of him, him and matthew lillard who are basically okay. playing this they're playing the same character in, in such wildly different ways um yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it like that, but yeah. you're right. There is a there is something of um of Fisher in Dennis. Right. Because uh, I mean, the... he's you know, he's a medium, he doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to, you know, yeah. open himself up to, to that. Um he's in a way he's part of a you know an earlier expedition, but you're not really. Um I guess that part doesn't scan, but but he I kind of does. He was involved yeah. in expedition expeditions to capture the ghosts in the first right. place. Yeah. He's right. he's um, the guy who's very well aware of what's inside. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's much. 
as much as I liked, you know, Matthew Lillard in that movie, like, you know, it's, it's just like, a, it's a whole other level of what, you know, Ronnie McDowell is, is playing him as. Mm-hmm. So it's much more realistic and less, you know, cartoonish uh, over the top. But I mean, 13 ghosts, you know, you're getting, you, you kind of expect over the top and cartoonish. Um, whereas this is, you know, more of a serious uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah, this was putting it more straight, but yeah, no, I that's right. an interesting connection to make. I wouldn't have made that one on my own, but you're kind of right. Um, but yeah, as far as the, the comparison contrast, I mean, it is what helps bring this thing whole is how right. seriously he's taking it. Um, you know, and, and the fact that he's probably the, the only one really taking it seriously from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't mean McDowell, I mean the character. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fisher. Yeah. Fisher, you know, both both the other two um, mm-hmm. have a particular goal in mind right. and um, and they're going to prove something. They mm-hmm. they want to poke the bear. They want to they want something to happen. Fisher is the opposite. Fisher's like, I don't want anything to happen. Uh, he has that great mo- mo- that great thing, where, that great little monologue where he yells at Lionel going like, you know, yes, but I know the score. You do not fight this house. Right. You know, Hell House doesn't mind a guest or two, but what it doesn't want is for you to poke it. It right. will it will poke back. Uh so yes, I am doing nothing. Uh because it will leave us alone if we do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um and um he's it's what's interesting about it is that the character is something of a coward. Mm-hmm. But McDowell doesn't play it cowardly. Right. Um, he plays it with a, a very deliberate caution. Um, the book is a little bit more like the, I think if memory serves, the book calls him a little bit more of a coward outright. Right. Um, Whereas in where, the movie, it's, it's kind of played like, you know, he's just like, he just knows better, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if we had this character's internal monologue throughout the mm. film, we'd see a little bit more of that, I think. Right. But, um, and there is some aspects of McDowell, um, you know, it takes if you wanted to go down that road, if you want to examine whether or not he's a coward or not, I think you could make an argument that he is mm-hmm. because there are times where he could probably could get involved. Right. Um, and help somebody. But he doesn't. Um, right. And in the book, that's more played up. He's always a day late and a buck short, I think, throughout the entire novel. Every time something happens, he shows mm-hmm. up shortly thereafter, um, but he never gets there in time. Right. Um, and it's sort of implied that maybe he doesn't want to. Um, but Fisher as a character probably could have saved a lot of trouble if he, uh, you know, put his foot down and really tried to like hammer home that Florence needed to leave, you know, um, if he had been a bit more firm, but at the same time, there's a lot of implication that he wants to fuck Florence. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he's, there's, uh, also that aspect where he's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell her what to do because I want her to like me. Right. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, uh, and then we have Lionel calling him a coward ostensibly, yeah. but, um, but Lionel doesn't exactly have moral high ground where he's not no. a likable guy. Um, we don't, we don't ever take his side. And I don't think we're supposed to. Right. Um, the actor does a wonderful job of playing the heel. Um, yeah. But even though he's usually has a right to be a bit of a dick, um, mm-hmm. you know, the but we uh, ultimately I think uh, we've got a little bit of an Audrey Hepburn thing going on with Florence where we want to protect her as well as right. an audience. So more the meaner he is to her, 
I think the more we rail against him, even though yeah. he's mostly right. Um, yeah, he's not. He's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. he's not wrong. Um, but um, and the house is actively trying to kill him all the time. So, right. um, but yeah, the dynamics of the characters are really, really interesting, and the way mm-hmm. Fisher sort of is a foil for all of them um, is what I think makes him such an interesting focal point for mm-hmm. the narrative. Um, he's the uh, he's the ego to the id and the superego. He's the right. he's this weird middle ground where uh, you know I'll, you guys both want to do action, I want to do inaction. Right. Um, it's and then um, it's also telling that uh, he and and uh, Anne are the ones mm-hmm. who walk out. Right. Who are the two who are uh, not trying to do anything? Yeah. Throughout most of the narrative. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. The idea of, uh, of a character who is steadfastly refusing to participate in the plot. Right. And, um, you don't see it very often, no. uh, at least not in any way that is engaging. Right. I, I feel I like, say, yeah. like most of the time, if you, if you see something like that, it's, it's, it's a detriment to the movie, not the, yeah. you know, one of the points of the movie. Um, and here it's you know it, it works gangbusters because i think it needs it needs that character pulling against everything else mm-hmm. um, for it to for it to work right yeah i agree um yeah him him just kind of digging his heels in is what mm-hmm. sort of helps build the tension i mean we right. know because what he's also doing is exposition which we've talked yeah. about many yeah. many times is a tough job right and um he manages to nail it. And like I said, that's, that's again, that's an actor being like great is you have Roddy McDowell being like, all right, I have to get all this information out. Right. How do I play that in a way that's interesting? And so he has that exasperated um, irritation, you know, like, I don't want to talk right. about this, but yeah. Because um, being fact, the guy it, yeah. that, you know, lived through it before and the guy who, you know, kind of already knows what's up. Um mm-hmm. If if he wasn't you know a bit of a coward and he wasn't you know pulling against the team like he would be leading the charge to get everybody the hell out of there and right uh, then then you wouldn't have a movie you know yeah or you'd or, to... or he'd push to the ending right yeah 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 narratively speaking I mean like right. either we, you know it would be a all right we go in and fight or and then either we win or we die um right. you know or we run away uh, instead he's like I want to get my one hundred thousand dollars and mm-hmm. go home right like yeah and it's like and i'm just not going to do anything i think in the book he outright states it um mm-hmm. in a more specific manner where he basically says like tells them uh you know i only came my ento- entire intention was to come here sit here for a few days and right. get i think in the book he's drinking constantly too if memory serves that would make sense yeah. yeah in the movie he kind of is i think they show him mm-hmm. every once in a while um we never really see him sleep we see it right. once in a chair mm-hmm. um but uh he's always up in this movie um and there's that there all these little hints that he's just like i don't he doesn't she doesn't show up with a bag right um i don't think he ever changes clothes um he's just literally waiting out the clock yeah um he's like i'm not gonna sleep i'm not gonna do anything in the book i think it is i think he's just drinking constantly because he's like i'm not gonna i'm not doing this right um and it's something to dull the edges you know yeah you know 
he's a medium, you know, so he's he's probably you know uses yeah. the drink as a, you know a self you know medication. You yeah, know, as, I'm gonna as shut well. it off. Yeah, right. I'm shutting it off with all the alcohol I can put in my body. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting. He's just a really interesting, fascinating character. Um, right. And uh, and it just McDowell was just kind of crushing it. I mean, mm-hmm. he's so annoyed, but right. um, and and so frightened. I mean, there's also mm-hmm. like a lot of, uh, you know, it's again, we don't have an internal monologue or anything. We just have his responses. So right. as we see him like move through the space and he's reacting to it, yeah. um, you know, he doesn't know. We don't know what's in his head and the actor doesn't really know what's in his head uh but it's almost like he's reliving all these other things uh all these other uh events that occurred that he's also not reacting to until finally he has that monologue where he says like well here's what happened to everybody was here last time uh even though it contradicts stuff they said earlier in the movie but um but it's uh i guess it's british so i mean assuming that's you know because they're like he's the only survivor but then he's like well no other people are alive i i just you know they're just in they're not intact uh but you know i guess maybe they were just not being literal but um but yeah it's just really really interesting to have this character that won't do anything and and the way mcdowell plays this um constant uh reaction like he just Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to relax at all ever in any scene in the movie and it's uh it's just a it's despite the fact that it's quiet it's a high energy performance yeah and uh it's it's the type of thing mcdowell does well right i think yeah but yeah it's um he's worth the price of admission at the very least i think oh for sure i mean yeah any any Roddy McDowell movie is is you know he makes it worthwhile just just for his being there, mm-hmm. um, and you know this is no exception. Um, even though this is you know independently of of them, you know a rather good movie, and you know like I said, everybody else in the cast is doing you know really good work too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't really understand like. Um, what they were going with with the character of Anne, like she, she was just like you know, the wife of of the scientist. Yeah, it's like I don't know. Was was there something with that that I that I missed or? Um... Uh, I think only only in the sense of the the repression angle. Um, right. The film has this idea that um, Anne and Lionel's relationship is pretty cold. Right. Um, they love each other, but. Um, there are these few moments in which Anne, um, that's why the possession sort of works the way it does, uh, mm-hmm. with her coming down and like hitting on Fisher a couple of times. Right. It's because they're not having sex. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even though she's with him, um, their relationship is kind of cold, but the house is sort of making her kind of want him. Um, in a way that it's, it's, it's more in in the book, it's way more played up. Like Mm -hmm. Anne's actually a pretty, she's actually has a different name, I think in the book, but, um, I think it's, um, yeah, uh, your name in the book is, it's just kind of weird. Okay. That, you know, they send, they send two mediums, a scientist and just 
eh, bring your wife, you know, why, why not? You know, well, they, they do say at the beginning, she always goes with him right. on any of his scientific expeditions. Um, but I think it is which, also, which maybe, yeah. you know, kind of primed me for her being like, you know, a bigger part of the science angle, like, you know, oh, maybe she's a maybe not a doctor, you know, a, or, but you know, she's knowledgeable in these things and you know, helps out with you know, the machines and. She's just like a, lab, support. like a lab, yeah. she's like a lab assistant. And I'm like, oh no, she's just, she's just kind of there. In know? the book, she is. Right. Yeah. Um, in the book, she actually is his assistant and helps okay. out with stuff. But in the movie, yeah, it's basically just. Um, I think what the film is trying to do with her is, um, mm. is to help uh, push the idea of that the conflict between Lionel and Florence isn't just. A professional one um right. it's personal so yeah. it's also uh sexist mm-hmm. you know I, I think it's supposed to be and fisher to a degree does the same thing there is a little bit of a um uh i mean there's literally a point where lionel almost actually says like don't worry your pretty little head about it right um <laughs> she offers help with the machine and he's like no it's too complicated and i'm like and i literally said out loud <laughs> i was like no don't worry your pretty little head about it <laughs> um but yeah, your, I mean, your it, girl parts could not possibly understand this machine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you could plug it in or something, but that's too complex for you right. and your uh, and your uh, you know poor female brain. Um, but no, I think that's I think that's something they were trying to go for is also like not only right. the sexual oppression but the gender gender oppression, um, right. which is, I think is what Anne's real purpose in the narrative is. Um, yeah, it makes sense. But yeah. also, I think too, uh, you know. Uh, Gail Honeycutt is mm-hmm. uh, is a looker, right? And um, and Lionel doesn't want to touch her, um, right? So I think we're supposed to kind of get that and the idea that she would come down and start, you know, saying these overtly sexual things to right. Fisher and him being more horrified than, um, you know, or, you know. or intrigued or or, right. or interesting in acting on it, um, is is all I think meant to kind of continue to push that narrative. Um, mm. that ultimately what we're talking about here is everybody is sexually repressed right. and, um, and they want to do more with their, their sexuality, right. um, and their own, you know, individual power, uh, as yeah. people, um, you know, all of them are also, uh, confined to certain beliefs. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the way they dress Anne, for example, she's always like, she doesn't show any skin really she's right. always wearing like high buttoned up shirts and high collars and uh she looks uh, practically um mm. amish in a few scenes right. um uh and uh and then of course like to have her in the other scenes with fisher where she's got a basically a bed sheet on um you know so you got mm-hmm. that you have that dichotomy but um or contrast rather, maybe not dichotomy, but contrast that I think that's what she was supposed to be bringing to the narrative. I think it's a little muddier. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The, the point, the, the fact that she's pointless is the point. Right. Um, And, um, and that she probably could be useful. Um, It's, you know, there is something to the idea at the end of the film. She also sort of gives Fisher some strength, Mm -hmm. um, even though she tells him not to go. And he does anyway, but she still goes with him. Um, right. And she still, um, she saves his life at yeah. one point. Um, 
that, you know, like I said, there's, I think there's something to the idea of the fact that she is the outsider, that she has no business being there is what helps her actually live through the picture. Um, like I said, in the book, she's got a lot more to do um, to the point that um, huge sections of the novel are about her own sexual hangups and, oh, okay. and repressions. Um, yeah, the novel's not subtle. Um, right. and uh, the film isn't really either, but, um, the novel, it, the whole concept is that, um, Lionel has, uh, had polio as a kid mm-hmm. that left him, uh, physically, uh, run down to the point that he, uh, to have sex is actually somewhat painful for him. It doesn't go right. well. Uh, and they, they, or as she's called in the book, Edith, right. um, was sexually assaulted by her father ah. as a kid. And so the implication is that the part of the reason why her and Lionel fell in love is because neither one of them want to have sex. Right. Um, and so she found that she found a much older man mm-hmm. that reminded her of her father that would never touch her. Right. And so, uh, and then he's like, well, that's fine because I can't really do this mm-hmm. uh, very much. But the idea is that they both end up feeling kind of guilty about it where they both right. are telling themselves they're fine with the fact that their relationship isn't all that physical, but the reality is they kind of both do somewhat want it to be right. um, and feel guilty about the fact that it's not that mm-hmm. both, that they both are denying sex to the other. Right. Uh, and then of course the house starts pushing. Yeah. And the, and the, the house, you know, the, the yeah. ghosts of the house being such a, such a hedonist um, yeah. you know, by nature of, yeah. You know, really contrasts with that, you know, mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. And then the idea is that to to add to that is um, the book is the book is a little bit problematic. I guess I would I would like to offer that um, mm-hmm. uh, disclaimer to anybody uh, listening that might want to read it. It's a good book. I, I do recommend it. Right. But um, there is uh, some aspects of it, particularly in its um, representation of homosexuality that mm-hmm. um reads a little funny now um where the whole point where there's a whole point about Anne and and get um uh or rather edith and um uh florence in which there's uh Anne starts to wonder if she's sexually attracted to florence and she's right. a little bit too repulsed by that oh, okay. um you know to the point that it's almost sort of the laid in there with like you know belasco part of part basically part of belasco's evil plan is to get two women to kiss right and that's terrible um <laughs> although it does it did occur to me i'm reading it i'm like either this is really uh regressive right um and problematic or he's or he's making a point about how it's right. not um but either way it's it's a little bit like uh and it, there's like a whole bit where when Florence starts to smash the machine, she's uh, mm-hmm. more obviously possessed in the novel. At that time, she she starts trying to smash the machine. She ends right. up knocking both the guys out, and then like rips off all of her clothes and runs after Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, with the when when it's clear that she's possessed, so like Blast goes in her uh, right. and wants to sexually assault Anne, mm-hmm. and uh, but the Anne is somewhat is again a little bit too repulsed by the fact that it's a woman. Right. Um, so it's sort of like it's it's unclear on whether or not the novel. I mean, the novel was written two years before this movie came out, so right. 1971. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it could still be a an uh, a facet of the society of seventy one, which would right. just be you know homosexuality is uh, deviant behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember that. But I remember that all of that being like, you know, it, it just basically I was always wondering when watching the movie if I was reading into a little bit too much about the sexual repression aspect. And when I, I read the book, so I went, yeah. no, that's the thing, yeah. but that, that right. I didn't, wasn't sure either. But then I read the book and went, Oh no, I was not. Um, right. Cause the book is, is very clear about it. Um, the character of Florence is so much different than the novel. And, and uh, she uh, it's all again, all about like, weird sexual hangups and right. and the her her background was very different um to the point that the inference again if memory serves and then it, i've already established it may not mm-hmm. um because her background in the book is that she's actually in the current day she's like 50 right uh, versus the young woman that's in this movie um she's a pastor in her own church uh she's a former actress she had made some money it's inferred that her backstory was again, sexual assault as a child right. that led to her and her brother having a skewed view of sexuality and entering into a relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And she eventually realizes that's wrong, breaks it off with him. He kills himself. Right. And she then dives into the church uh, in her faith, beco- gets married, becomes an actor, divorces right. her husband, gives up acting, becomes a pastor. And now she's a medium and mm-hmm. she gets hired. But also they describe her as she's very statuesque and voluptuous. Mm-hmm. They they imply she's almost six feet tall. Uh, she's more Jessica Rabbit right. than, than school marm. Um, and so there's like a whole scene in which uh, in which Edith uh, and Anne's character, she mm-hmm. um, is is supposed to. Uh, one of the reasons why she's Lionel's assistant is because the mediums will wear electrodes on their naked bodies right and so when they have a female medium edith would be the one to go in and attach them, and, right um behind a curtain uh for because everybody's gonna be you know lionel ain't gonna look at a naked woman right um and uh it's so it's it but the when she's putting them on uh there's this whole bit where Anne is like um kind of turned on mm-hmm. by the body of Florence and Florence is kind of like, I'm kind of into this. If you're into this and, um, and again, like I said, she gets a little bit too repulsed um, where she's like, I'm not, I'm not gay. What's wrong with me. I am not a disgusting homosexual, Um, but it's, uh, but it's all there. And, um, but like I said, it's all like sort of implied is partially the idea that, you know, almost as if homosexuality is up there with the bestiality and vampirism and right. all these things that, uh, you know, Fisher lists off that Belasco right. is responsible for. Uh, so when you do look at it that way, it's like, okay, so his evil plan was to basically get two women to kiss because that's right. the too. <laughs> um, and that's terrible. Um, but no, it's, um, I, I, I forgot what my point is, but, mm-hmm. but no, just that the, uh, oh yeah, that to, to tie in more and why um why Anne's there is right. that in the book that's a little bit more clear that okay, um okay. not only does she actually does help right um Lionel with his research and does that type of thing um but also she um 
her journey in the novel is helping the theme of mm. of the sexual repression uh, right. in her case stemming from trauma that right. she's uh she's got a, a unhealthy relationship with sexuality as a result of abuse and so she's married the one this one guy who will never touch her right um and then Velasco goes haha there's a weakness there I'm gonna right I'm gonna make you really 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 horny <laughs> and uh you're gonna suffer um right. but yeah it's uh it's what do you think of Belasco um, moving I was expecting a little bit more from him uh, mm-hmm. because, uh you know the way they build up the the character to be you know like basically like you know a somehow more wicked version of Aleister Crowley uh um and, and, and then at the end you know it, Turns out that he's, you know, just a paper tiger. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I think. Uh, I mean, I, I liked that they, you know, gave his character, you know, so many traits of, you know, being, you know, hedonistic and, you know, bestial and you just, you know, like I said, the most wicked man in the world, you know, kind of kind of mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Um, and then to have him show up at the end and, you know, as like, you know, a preserved corpse just sitting in a chair, like was a little bit, a little bit strange to me. Um, yeah. Nothing about the ending really tracks. It's right. all, it's all, you have to give it some thought, but uh, right. in theory that that's something of a weakness. Yeah. Uh, film wise. I mean, not to say that your film needs to spell shit out for you, but right. Uh, you when you have to kind of be like, well, that's well, I mean, really, that's it. That's the big climax. Is he yells at him, right? Um, and and even the um conceit of the you know like, oh, he's got you know lead walls, and that's how he right. predicted all this. It's like, well, wait, how? Right. Um, I can buy know. the like the lead walls and 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 stuff like that. It's um because he was you know interested in the occult and everything. You know, I guess yeah. I can see that you know he may be built himself a, a safe room that you know could survive you know even in a spiritual sense mm-hmm. um i don't know something about the ending with with just you know his preserved corpse just sitting there like was like a little bit strange to me um not that i think it has to have some big huge hollywood ending where you know he gets up and chases them around with a hatchet or something but you yeah. know i was expecting a little bit something a little bit more out of the out of the ending than like you said just him you know getting yelled at mm-hmm. <laughs> right and and then you know that's it and you know the the revelation that he wasn't you know six foot five he was just you know a short guy with you know long fake legs yeah <laughs> for yeah. some reason yeah you know yeah yeah it all it's again it's this it's this whole concept that works i think thematically right um uh, especially when again when fisher is considered a foil for everybody and that includes velasco mm-hmm. and he's like i've been you know He's been getting called a coward the whole narrative. Right. And then he's like, actually, the bad guy's the coward. You know, yeah, like yeah. Belasco can't actually get it up. Um, right. you know, he's 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 you know, Belasco's running around talking a big game, but really the only thing he really is successful at doing is violating a little girl. Right. Um, which is by the way, one of the most evil things I've seen a ghost do in a movie. Yeah. Um yeah. you know, the whole the whole game that he mm-hmm. plays is unbelievably dastardly. 
Right. Um, it's the absolute worst. Um, and I watch it every time and I'm like, Jesus, this is it's it's almost stupid, but you mm-hmm. can see why it works where right. this this very naive girl is like buying into this nonsense. Um mm-hmm. but you know, it's uh it's working, like you know, that you, right. you can see why it's working. Um, but it's one of the most dastardly things ever, but it is, again, it's a cowardly response. He doesn't just, you know, uh, take what he wants. He has to lead her into it. Um, you know, that ultimately what the, Mm -hmm. the screaming at him and everything is basically saying like the best way to deal with a bully is stand up to him. Right. Uh, uh, nothing like a little fear to make a paper man crumble. Right. Um, wonderful line from, uh, uh, it chapter one. Yes. Um, but yeah, nothing like a little fear to make a paper man crumble. Uh, that for all of his power, Belasco is really is just a wuss. Yeah, he's and just a bully, and you know, yeah, he's just a bully. And he's making he's making everybody believe he's big and bad when right. in reality he was nobody. Um, you know, he he built a legend about himself mm-hmm. um, because he, in real life he was just remarkably unimpressive. Right. Um, and again, it's again within the sense of sexual repression. What we're really talking about is uh, big dick energy, right? Little little dick. Um, you know, it's you know he's he's driving around in that SUV and hoping nobody <laughs> will know he has a small penis, right? Um, you know, and uh, it it works in that respect. All of that thematically works, but narratively speaking, from from a cinematic perspective, it is the lamest possible ending. Mm-hmm. um that you know ultimately you're like well really like it's uh and much again much like it chapter two where you right. you you know they wrote themselves into a corner and they were like well what do we do well i guess they stand up to him right and that will work um it's uh it's never a good ending really to um it, it, i think it's maybe worked once and it was mm. like nightmare on elm street right it was nancy turning her back on him um like that worked i think even though in some ways it didn't i guess i don't know but i don't know how you feel about it i feel Um, like it worked for the most part you know yeah for the most part it may be but i would say like you know it doesn't quite have the fireworks of uh you know holy water or uh you know setting them on fire or any of the ways that jason Voorhees might die um you know it is a little bit um it's not as cathartic but it it, it works thematically and you know with the with the characters and the and the story, yeah. But when you don't have any fireworks, um, which this movie, there was no real reason to expect fireworks right. with this particular film. This is a very quiet film. Mm. Uh, there are some big, uh, big moments of plate smashing and tables right. bouncing around, but the um, the real and there's a cat scene, which of course we have to talk about because it's fucking ma- it's amazing. But right, um, and. Um, but yeah, I mean, this movie is really much about four sexually repressed, very quiet people kind of getting annoyed with each other. It's like the real world, but there's a ghost. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you got four people who are kind of all um, uh, philosophically opposed. Right. Uh, forced to live in a house and see what happens when they stop mm-hmm. being polite and start getting real. And um Reference for the kids. Do they, still, do they still have real world? Is that a thing? Oh, I, I have yeah. no idea. I don't either. I, I wouldn't shock me if I Google. I don't want right. to Google it. I don't want to know. But I um. But yeah, real world. Uh, you know, eighty million 
uh, right. could be happening as we speak. I don't know. But um, but yeah, in that it, it sort of is that kind of concept. It's for people who are far too polite to get into fisticuffs. Right. Because uh, they're British. Um, and uh, so they they aren't going to they aren't going to get into it. But what we do have is multi- mostly a bunch of people not really doing much of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's no real reason to really expect anything to really explode at the end of this. But I think you're right to the idea that, again, thematically, it makes sense that Belasco's nothing. Right. Um, but the movie had told us the whole time he was something. Yeah. The, the way the movie built... Um you know, up yeah. to it, you know, makes you kind of expect a, that thing. Cause you know, like you said, you know, for the most part, you know, this is a quiet movie, but the third act, it gets loud, it, you know, starts, mm-hmm. you know, things really start to happen, you know, in, in really, you know, big bombastic ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, then, then the ending is, you know, just kind of like, a, you know, eh. yeah. Yeah. We do have some, you know, you get to see Roddy McDowell get thrown around a bit. Um, right. But ultimately, it's and of course, McDowell, like, you know, bringing bringing the energy up, you yeah. know, he's up to 11 in that scene where he's just mugging and screaming mm-hmm. and rubber faced the whole time. Right. Um, and so it's exciting in that respect. But you're right in terms of a of a cathartic climax. Um, right. There is something there is something underwhelming about uh, yelling at him right. to death. You know, um, but or that the machine works, um, which is such a silly, mm-hmm. silly thing, even though it's a movie about ghosts. For some right. reason, the the radiation machine, ghost killing mm-hmm. machine uh, seems to be the most outlandish thing in the narrative. <laughs> and um, I just kind of bought into it as like a precursor to like Ghostbusters, you know, yeah, like, it was just yeah. like, all right, you know, this is what we're, what we're doing. Well, there's something very fascinating about it. Um, mm-hmm. the idea that the ideolo- ideological difference here is not the existence of ghosts, right. it's whether or not ghosts are people, um, mm-hmm. is such a, is such an interesting idea that he's like, I don't deny mm-hmm. there is something that there is like that something kind of supernatural is happening. It's just not a ghost the way right. we think of it, where he's like, there's no surviving personality. It's just energy. Um, yeah. There's something happening here. I'm not, he doesn't deny that. Um, you know, he fully buys into the mediums. He buys into right. the telekinesis and telepathy, all that stuff. That's fine. But it's the idea that any, that a consciousness remains mm-hmm. after death is where he differs from everybody else. And that's interesting. Yeah. We don't is, see that you know, very often. No, because normally, um, you know, you would see like the scientists just be a skeptic overall. Overall. Yeah. And, you know, no or, or yeah. yeah, right. You know, but, you know, for some reason, he's built these machines that, you know, will capture, you know, evidence of the thing he doesn't believe in. Well, they'll capture. They'll make a lot of sense. Yeah, they'll be. Yeah, there's cap. There's the there. There is that he will prove that the energy exists. Right. But that you you're not there. It's just, you know, he's like he's saying Belasco is in a way. Yes, Belasco is still here. It's just not him thinking. It's just right. direct, as he calls it, I think directionless power. Right. Um, you know that it, there's a lot of horrible things happened here. It left a residual energy behind that's negative, mm-hmm. and so you as mediums pick up that and think it's an evil ghost. 
where in reality it's just you're picking up on you know and that's the thing is like mediums are real they're picking up on this energy right but it's not a consciousness um and that's such an interesting thing to see a religious person argue with a scientist but they're not arguing about the existence of the phenomena itself they're mm-hmm. arguing about the nature of that phenomena right um it's it's really really clever yeah um and it's it's an interesting it's just a really interesting viewpoint to me but i do find the big box uh just to be kind of silly right but, you know I, i'm going to turn on this box and it's going to send like radiation out mm. and it's going to cancel out the negative energy and um and it works right um although it doesn't not really but kind of does but the no it works i mean it clears the house other than the you know part that was shielded in lead well Um, yeah but the well i mean yes but i think the insinuation in the book kind of says that this is mm -hmm. the case is what that does is makes belasco retreat right into his so the energy i guess it does work in a way Mm -hmm. but that he retreats back to his safe room um Although in the book it does, yeah, no, you're right because it does work because the whole point is Fisher then walk comes back into the house and is going to confront Velasco, but isn't sure how or why he's going to do it. Right. Um, but he realizes that's when he realizes he's in the chapel is because the the ghost doesn't affect him at all anywhere except uh, when he walks there, by the right. chapel, he will be like, oh shit, he's in there, right? But why? And that's what gives him the clue is he's like, why isn't he coming out? Uh, you know, he's just hiding ah. out in there, and then he's mm-hmm. like, "Huh, okay, he must be vulnerable in there." Right. Um, you know, he won't come out here. Uh, all of a sudden, even though he's been, you know, toying with us this whole time, but he turned on his machine and now he's holed up in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the um, so yeah, I guess it does work. So I guess yeah, there is right. that. So, um, I guess that the vinyl did create a ghost killing machine. Yeah. So, um, which has a really nasty implication, but um, which right. Florence makes. Florence, you just send them from one hell to another. Um, what happens when you kill a ghost? Sam and Dean would ask that question many right. times on Supernatural. But what, didn't they end up just saying they went to Purgatory? Is that what they did on Supernatural? Yeah. 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 Purgatory yeah. was where all the uh, everything went. All the monsters yeah. went. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't. I don't remember if they ever officially said the ghosts go there. I don't know. Um, There's a well, lot of supernatural. Yeah, <laughs> they may have, saying, and they may have contradicted it once or twice. You no, know, Bobby. Too. Bobby went to heaven. I mean, he did. You know, after yeah. he after he was a ghost. Um, yeah, they he killed. Was, and he they, was also laid laid to rest properly after after that and everything. You know. Well, no, they burned his. They burned his right. flask. They burned his uh, tether. Right. Like they would do for another ghost. So, yeah. yeah, I guess they go wherever they were going. Right. I guess. Um, but, yeah, for a long time, they didn't know that. Like, right. in fact, one of their most famous episodes in, like, the first couple seasons was the one mm-hmm. with Trisha Helfner right. from uh, Battlestar Galactica as the ghost mm-hmm. didn't know she was a ghost. And they tell her at the end, you're a ghost. And she's like, what happens after you bust me? And they're like, uh. Right. But, <laughs> not our not problem to think about. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Not, best not to think about it. Um but we're going to do it to you. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a little nasty implication. If we're going to establish that ghosts do exist in this movie, right. Then that machine's pretty, might be pretty awful, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, I do. Um, it, it just always struck me as a little bit silly. Like, um, right. 
to a degree, it's it's sort of like I think it's probably just because I want my haunted house movies to not have the rational as much. Right. I think um, I like my you know I like the haunting you know where it's mm-hmm. you know it's basically four people poking around in the dark, right? You know, and then there's ghosts, uh, or are there? But um, you know, it's this movie there's no ambiguity there but my right. favorite stuff about it is just the four people poking around in the dark trying to figure right. out what's going on but yeah it's um it's just an interesting it is an interesting concept but for some reason the image of the you know box that he's going to flip some switches and it's going to mm-hmm. solve the problem uh it's a very feels weird. you know almost 50s uh science fiction feel to it you know in that mm-hmm. part um yeah, time I, don't of radiation. Were, I don't yeah. know if they were doing, you know, throwbacks back then or, or, or nostalgia pieces, but uh, yeah. you know, it, it felt a lot of ways like that, um, which, you know, to me is a plus, but I could I mm-hmm. can see why, you know, it's not for everybody. Well, I think Matheson was something of a rationalist, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all of his work was always very thematic, but he was also really interested in the I think he was always interested a little bit in the whys and hows. Right. Um which is the mark of more of a science fiction writer. Yeah. Um, a horror writer doesn't need to know why or how a uh, science fiction writer does. Um, right. And, um, and so you have this uh, ideological conversation that's actually really interesting, but ultimately it does need some sort of concrete um, solution. And so, you know, we'll mm-hmm. have a machine that does it, um, you know, versus the haunting where there's no explanation as to right. what we need to do or why. Um, also, of course, the haunting most famously, uh, despite what the remake says, didn't actually have a, a ghost person. Like it didn't have a, a villain at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, only the remake did. You know, right. uh, you know, the guy who built the house was mean, which is actually more in line with this. Right. Like right. House. Um you know, uh, the Hugh Crane of the Haunting 99 is way more Belasco than yeah. anything from Shirley Jackson. Um, in fact, I think there was, I saw somewhere, I think there was somebody who was making mm-hmm. an argument that the Haunting 99 was, was really a remake of this. Remake of this. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was more of a remake of The Legend of Hell House. And I was like, well, other than the names and location and right. uh, general theme. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, other than the sense of, you know, the archetypes are there but part of that is also matheson was riffing on shirley jackson right he wrote the novel um and um you know he was sort of uh writing his own version of the haunting um i think too i think by his own admission yeah that was yeah um that he wanted to do that but he needed to do it differently so he wanted to to take jackson's more uh fantastic maybe uh Mm -hmm. viewpoint more ambiguous viewpoint and go more uh concrete with it um and more um direct with it Mm -hmm. um so i mean there is that but uh but other than that i never understood quite understood i I don't think i ever read the article but i mean i can see a little bit of where you might come up with that argument right but they're not that similar you know to the point that i would uh really buy into it um but yeah really the less said about the remake of the haunting the better but (laughs) after we spent like an hour and a half talking about it a couple weeks ago yeah but um 
but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 interesting comparison to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, it it does feel like uh, that's one of those the the box and everything is one of those cases of a uh, science fiction writer needing to insert his thing right. into a horror story. Um, I think in the book there's like a, a monster scene too that isn't in the film. um where lionel's attacked by something Mm -hmm. um but honestly i don't remember that well but uh it did feel a little bit more um science fictiony i guess i guess you could Mm -hmm. say like i am legend is ultimately you know a virus um right you know it's it's not just vampires and what, what he's saying is yes they're vampires but they're not vampire vampires you know they're sci-fi vampires you know it's um so i mean yeah i think that that's something of matheson's own interests uh being inserted but Mm -hmm. um let's talk a little bit about florence tanner um pamela franklin um she had been a, a few things in the 1970s Right. Um, she's um, she's I think she's a great actress. I think she's doing really well here. Um, what's your take on on that character? What what um, what do you think about Florence? Um, I really, you know, thought she came across as very genuine and, you know, uh, and not and naive, not in a not in a bad way, but like, in, you know, in a unspoiled way, um, yeah. you know, so for when you know later when she's you know getting more more um yeah torn up torn up and and it's actual like you know you th- you really feel for um at yeah. that point um i thought she was doing a really you know good job of uh, portraying that character uh, in a way that you you did root for her to you know survive even though you know unfortunately she didn't spoiler alert um right but yeah, I mean, I thought she was doing some some good work there, um, and I know we wanted to talk about the cat a little bit, but uh, like her acting with you know the the dummy cat uh, mm-hmm. you know, was was top notch. Yeah, yeah, I love that scene. Right, um, and that scene is uh, was famous enough that it got into Scary Movie too, mm-hmm. where they did a, a very I thought very funny parody. Um, uh, with the the cat going as far as boxing and right you know, and, oh that's right yeah, yeah. uh is throwing Fire cat litter yep. kitty litter in her eye and right. um you know it's um it's a very funny parody but the mm-hmm. scene is actually pretty terrifying it is um, yeah it's something you don't really think about i mean you i, I know will fuck you up yeah you a cat will I, I just got i just got badly damaged by a cat just yesterday ah, um oh. these stupid strays and their right. need for food mm-hmm. um I fed them wet food instead of dry mm-hmm. food because I ran out of dry food. So I had to right. go to the store and get some cat food, uh, cans of cat food. And um, I gave them that. And they were so driven that they all kind of dove for the bowl. Now, mm-hmm. my kitchen's not that big. All right. So right. I'm trying to feed this one cat. And the other two come forward to come and get it. And um, these are the three strays. So I've still right. got the kitten, too, that I mm-hmm. eventually have to get rid of. But um these three cats all die for it so i'm trying to die get all of these cats off so one of them can eat so i can feed the other two right when i uh, one of them uh takes a swipe at my elbow mm-hmm. knocks the bowl out of my hand 
And then the other one freaks out because I'm trying to push her out of the way. Right. Huge gash on my thigh. I hadn't gotten, right. I had just gotten up. So I was wearing my boxer shorts. So this right down the, right, right. down the thigh, Ugh. uh, big ass, big ass scratch, uh, right. draws blood. I basically like hurled the cats. Um, right. I feel badly about it, but I mean, like I was like, Oh my God, you, you holy shit. This hurts. Right. Kind of push them. Uh, <laughs> since then I've been feeding them in separate rooms. I've, I've had enough. Uh, and they're now going to get fed in separate rooms, but which is a pain in the ass, but Mm -hmm. it's what has to happen because they need to learn to not go after each other's food. But point is they will mess you up. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, watching this movie, you might think it's a little bit, um, unrealistic, but it, or silly, but Mm -hmm. I feel like that could happen. You know, you're a cat and I've I've dealt with enough aggressive cats in my time that I know that they don't have no problem taking your running start, leaping at your face. Yeah. Uh, And what are you going to do? Right. Back it around. I mean, like she just kind of claws and those fangs are all made for murder guys. You know, yeah, they're little tiny murder engines. Yeah. Um, And so it's something I'd never really seen done. Well, I mean, we'd seen plenty of, of cat scares. Yeah. Uh, which is just the cat meows or you know, appears right. or steps on a piano or what have you. <laughs> um, usually when anybody, uh, you know, talks about, you know, jump scares or lazy or I hate them, that's usually what they're talking about yeah, is a bad right. cat scare. Um, this is a full on cat attack. Right. And um, uh, it lasts. It shot really well. It, it shot really well. Yeah. You well. don't really think too much about the fact that mm-hmm. it's a dummy. There's like only one shot, I think, where you can really tell it's a dummy. Right. And it's when she kind of slaps it out of the air and it kind of does this flip thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that's clearly just a stuffed animal that right. they, she swatted out of the air. But um, the rest of it's really well done. It looks like there's this cat that's attacking mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Um, and um, and then um, just a little subtle imagery, like she locks herself in the bathroom and the, cl- the cat's paws are coming up underneath the door. But you can see right. the blood right. on its uh, on its claws. And you're like, that's actually pretty terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's this cute little black kitty, but it's kind of frightening. Um, but no, she does exceptional work uh, mm. playing with that stuffed animal. Um, right. Totally buy it. Um, and how, I mean, it, it's interesting to me that this movie, you don't, it's all about sex. Don't see mm. any sex. Right. Um, but somehow one of the most almost upsettingly erotic things I've ever seen is the close up of her face. Right. As she starts having sex with the ghost. Um, yeah. And it's it's uh, unsettling, but mm-hmm. it's also the most like sexually charged image in the entire film. Right. And it's a close up of her face. Yeah. Um, it is. It, it's it's so fascinating to me that they mm-hmm. managed to to nail almost everything about this movie in this one image. And it is the most sterilized image you could possibly get. Right. sex scene um but uh she's nailing it that's yeah. what a woman's face looks like when she's having sex right that it's like you know but I'll, i this time i was watching going i could just think of the director in my head going and now he's fucking you right you know like mm-hmm. okay act pamela uh you know yeah. but um kind of like a nightmare uh, friday the 13th five you know and i wonder if that isn't the reason why um you know, originally this in in Britain kind of acts raining. You know, it did probably. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's a, it's, it's a not terribly movie. gory. It's not you know, it's yeah. not it has some gore in it, but it's not you know 
a gory some, movie. It's not, some scratches. You know, yeah. Right. A little bit of blood. Uh, some blood. Yeah, it's dripping. got blood. You know, yeah. Uh... But yeah. But yeah, it's um, that's probably why. I mean, I would assume right. it's just because it's again, it's about British repression. Right. In a repressed Britain. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously they would be like, you know, oh, well, this movie's insinuating a lot of stuff. Right. Um, it was probably between that the the idea of like her having sex with a ghost, and then probably the um, uh, you know, um, Gail Hunnicutt's, you know, like you and me writhing naked, right. like you know, like yeah, uh, you know that that was probably all a little shocking for mm. for Britain in 1973, but right, uh, I wasn't even aware it had an X rating. That's interesting. According to IMDb's, you know, trivia, uh, that's so oh. it, it couldn't, it could be, it could be false. Um, it could be, but uh, it doesn't, it seems like right. it's true. It got like a you PG know. in the States, but uh, yeah, I guess it originally got an X and then, you know, later did not anymore. Right. Well, I mean, this is a country that, you know, still doesn't allow like, uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be aired on cut. I think right. so, you know, like there's, yeah, that movie yeah. doesn't show you anything either. Right. Um, so, you know, it's all, it's all the, the implication, I think the implication and insinuations are enough, mm-hmm. I think for British censors or especially right. in, uh, uh, Back bygone then. eras. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that doesn't shock me. So it sounds true. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they certainly were, I mean, obviously they started the video nasty thing. Um, right. you know, all that stuff was was originally the British censors being like, this stuff is horrific and terrible for young people to see. Yeah. And, uh, and then Roger Ebert picked it up in the States. But <laughs> um yeah, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, fuck him, but I mean, like he's um I, I respect the man for his love of cinema, but sometimes yeah. he can get on his fucking high horse and, and just, you know. Being yeah. A total asshole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was not. It's. It's still to this day. It's remarkable whenever I see horror film fans like refer mm-hmm. to him in a positive manner, and I'm like, he right. hated the genre. Right. Um. Right. You know, he. Uh. He had very few horror films that he liked. Um. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's. Um. But yeah, I mean, like, and it, we still have it today. Obviously, like you know, censors and and parent watchdog groups. You know, kind of being like, well, we shouldn't have this type of thing. I mean, in fact, um, you know, to this date, there's still I think we talked about this relatively recently about um, the stigma of sex scenes in uh, in current cinema where there's this whole upcropping of of people that are now saying like uh, they hate sex scenes in movies. Mm. And and uh, and they cite Roger Ebert because he didn't like them either. And, right. um, you know, Roger Ebert said that they were never, you know, advanced the plot. And I was kind of like, well, sometimes well, they're the whole plot, you know, sometimes they're the whole plot. Yeah. It also, I mean, like, get over it. You know, it's, uh, you know, there's no, why are you being so prudish in a, especially in the horror genre, um, right. where excess is the point more often than not. Mm-hmm. So, but I think it was something where I was going to talk about with eyes wide shut too, because that was always, okay. um, which we had to cut due to, uh, due to circumstances but right um but that movie had a whole bunch of sex in it as well right. it was another horny movie um i did not uh on purpose choose two horny movies to discuss right. but uh they happen right. to be there um no they were both pickers they both set around christmas right um but the uh but as what shut is um 
an example I thought of a movie where sex scenes actually do drive the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, they do little else, you know, as one shot. But um, everybody loves to say, well, sex scenes never, uh, never drive the plot. And I'm like, eyes wide shot. All right. Yeah. Like right. it's the entire well, that's point kind of, of what I was movie. pointing. Yeah. yeah was, uh, that's what I meant when it was uh, sometimes the sex scenes are the plot. Yeah. Um, not, not referring to pornos. I'm referring to like movies like eyes wide shut where, you know, yeah. the, the lack thereof or, or the, or the sex scenes that are shown are, you know, kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, that whole movie is about a guy trying to get laid. Right. Um, in all the wrong places. And, uh, mm-hmm. And then when we do get to sexuality in that movie, Kubrick is like, it's not sexy at all. Right. Um, you know, it's just you're going to stare at it and it's going to do nothing for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it should creep you out. And right. um, uh, and then the whole concept of the sexual obsession is dumb and it's just, right. it's just sex like you really need to get over it. But um, but yeah, this movie is 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 somewhat like is somewhat like that in the sense mm-hmm. that you do have these characters who are like if they just kind of were honest with themselves about what they wanted um things would go a lot better for them and it because they don't they it becomes a vulnerability that belasco can exploit where he's like you know all of you kind of want to have sex with each other you know you could just have sex with each other um that's something you could do right uh and but instead they're like well no that's wrong uh (laughs) but yeah it's um it's interesting in that in that regard, but I mean, I, I think that, um, like I said, in the novel, Florence is a very different character, and she's very right. uh, she's much more um, comfortable with mm-hmm. her sexuality and her physical appearance. They make her more um, uh, well. They make her kind of like a nun in this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's implied she's coming from the convent. Right. Um, it's she's certainly virginal. Um, she's never had sex uh it, it, she never outright states that she never had yeah but we but get that in yeah. heavily applied yeah yeah uh to the point of and then and to the point that it's suggested that she's taken a vow right of celibacy um and that she's willing to give up for what she believes to be the right reasons to help this ghost move on um even though and that even though that's the type of thing that you shouldn't believe no um, right um, ladies, if a guy says, you know, that sex with you will save him, uh, he probably is, doesn't mean it. Um, right. That's uh, probably you should probably run the other direction. Um, <laughs> that's like all the red flags, yeah. especially if he's dead, um, right. you know, or a ghost of some kind. Um, uh, there's a whole uh, multiple levels of wrong, I think, having right. sex with a ghost. But um but for whatever reason, she buys into it. But because she's a spiritualist, because she believes, right. um, believes in this so heavily that she's like, okay, I guess this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's uh, again the implication is, and it's again, it's it's a little bit more specific in the book that they're not all thinking clearly. Um, Belasco's mm-hmm. messing with their heads a bit, right. so part of that is what's going on as well. But in the movie, they do suggest it's a certain level of it, it's a combination of naivete and um, arrogance, mm-hmm. you know, that she she's willing to believe that uh, that this act will save him. Um, right. You know, that she has that kind of power. Um, 
And and one of the things that's interesting about this movie is that she actually presents a lot of information in the second act that seems true, right. and not a word of it is. Um, and I think that's really yeah. really neat. Um, to the point that I think if you're not paying attention, you'll be like, wait, why is it contradicting itself? But it's like, no, no, right. she's just wrong. Um, yeah. she's like, you know, Belasco's controlling she's all being these other tricked, ghosts. Yeah, yeah, right. and like, no, 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 it's just the one guy. Um, you know. Uh, manipulating you um it's just interesting but mm -hmm. um but yeah she's got all of these really really interesting choices that she makes as an actor mm -hmm. um where she's at turns she's like she's angry she's vulnerable she's strong she's weak she's all over the place in this movie right. Um, and all of it seems believable i think that she's yeah. really full -fledged, it all fits full into her character you know yeah yeah really well fleshed out character um and again it's a it's an example of an actor presenting all of this because we don't have her internal monologue right um and so we have to sort of take what she's doing at face value but pamela franklin makes us believe it mm. at every step of the way um and i think i think it's a uh a wonderful performance i'll I definitely will want to listen to the commentary track because i would be interested in hearing her take right on the film um and again the closest we get this real sexualization is like she wears like a little nightgown at one point right um but even that's fairly conservative mm -hmm. um it's just enough to tease you with the idea that she has a nice body right um again another really clever choice by yeah. filmmakers to be like well no we, she's sexualized but right. not that sexualized we're not going all the way with it <laughs> but um it's interesting but uh, i guess we'll round back to the beginning but like uh mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about what you thought about um like the cinematography and set design um like favorite scenes or favorite shots or anything that stuck out to you um i really enjoyed the the set design of the chapel um the, the way they shot it and uh the, especially at the ending you know with it being like this big you know cavernous uh space that you know still felt like you know too constricted at the same time really worked well um uh the way they you know shot like the stained glass window uh, exploding was was really cool um it really worked out well i think um the scene that really you know i i dug the most was um i think um florence's death uh it's such a such a great scene and acted so well um mm -hmm. and and framed so well that uh it really stuck out to me and uh of just being you know just sad and and, and you know that devastating um uh you really felt it you know mm -hmm. it's, it it didn't like you know pull back and and show it you know like in, in a clinical manner it uh you know made you feel like you know the the suffering that she was going through and, and i think pretty well and mm -hmm. you know her realization that oh, i guess this is it you know yeah um yeah i like I, that I too that yeah when the cross is on her it's another example right. of the um i was talking the, about the, the diagonal frame being lines. split right yeah um they use it in two ways in that one there's two splits mm -hmm. two diagonal lines it's right. uh yeah so much it's interesting really, it's just so yeah. brilliant yeah yeah it's yeah um other than that um 
I think the seance is really fucking cool. Um, Which one? The one where she talks? The first the one. The one. The one yeah. The ectoplasm. Um, oh, okay. The, the, the like, uh, uh, the one where the Argento. scientist is. Yeah, yeah. The very, yeah. Very Argento one where it's like, you know, just, you know, red he's, light he's, and yep. yeah, a little box. Yeah. And it, it was really shot in the very, yeah, I was going to say like, a, it felt like an Italian thriller at that point. Um, mm-hmm. Which you know probably was what they were going for. Probably, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that scene really stuck out to me. Um, and the third scene that that I really enjoyed, which we already talked about, was you know the the cat attack. Um, mm-hmm. That was really um, visceral and uh, not not an easy thing to pull off. Um, no. I, I I think sometime this year I I want to do uh, let the right one in. Um, oh, this yeah. example of a terrible cat attack on film. I don't remember a cat uh, attack in that movie. Uh, yeah. There was a cat attack in it, and it looked fucking awful. Uh, um, I do want to. I would love to talk about that movie, though. Right, yeah. I love that movie, but yeah, the cat attack film. in that is, yeah. is 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 fucking terrible. Um, yeah, okay. It looks fake yeah. as hell. It's, I don't. Yeah, it's I don't remember that at all. Shot but... all wrong. Hmm. It's like they looked at this and said, "Let's do the opposite." Um, <laughs> Maybe they did, right? Yeah. For but me, yeah, those, um, those yeah. Really, really, really what stuck out. Yeah. How about you? Uh, for me, yeah. The the set design of Florence's room, um, mm-hmm. the uh, it's so red, right. um, that red floral print, uh, all over the walls and big red bedspread, um, right. and then I love the casual reveal. There's a mirrored ceiling. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's um. It, that's a very it, 70s thing right there you yeah know? yeah but also a very sexy thing like right. that's a that's that's uh an image that is synonymous with uh sexuality right that um it's such an interesting thing that they took the nun and put her in the sexiest room in the house right um but it's such a striking room um mm-hmm. and um but I also love the uh the the follow-up to the cat attack where she she goes into the bathroom and there's the mm-hmm. silhouette uh inside the shower yeah. stall yeah that was nice um that's kind of moving in a weird funky way and then she opens right. it and it's just the dead cat yeah, on that the ground freaked me out right um yeah it's such an interesting little moment um but i love um i also like the uh, ectoplasm uh sequence but i also really like the other one um the the way that they shoot her in profile with the close-up mm-hmm. And uh, the fire behind her as she right. does the distorted voice that you sons of bitches, I will kill you all. Right. Um, it's it's such an interesting uh, it's just such an interesting scene. Mm-hmm. But um, all over the place in this movie, there are these really weird uh, and I love all of them, even though they're very strange. But um, it's very stagey. Right. Um, uh, there's there's definitely a, a, a stage play kind of going on here mm-hmm. um because one of the things i love about this movie is there's a lot of move scenes where people move from background to foreground right and suddenly they move into close-up like they you know it's mm-hmm. and he uses there's this wonderful argument between fisher and lionel it's just the two of them and they're both in the upper upper frame their mm-hmm. faces just their faces. It's right. just the ceiling and their faces. And they're at uh, Fisher's in the top right, Lionel's in the top left. 
And then uh, as this argument finishes, they both move out of frame and the camera right. follows it down. Um, it's it's so interesting looking to the point that I'm like, I don't recall ever seeing anything quite like it. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest I can think of is some of Sam Raimi's arch right. uh, yeah. uh, low angle close ups. Um, right. It's um, it, it's so interesting looking to have all of these moments where it's talking heads but i've never seen talking heads shot this way yeah um part, yeah one of the things that um going into this that i was like worried about um really the only thing i was worried about like is that this is like a 1973 british film with basically you know four characters in it and mm-hmm. i'm like is this going to be a stage play you know right. is this is going to feel like like you know a, a a staged version of, of 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 a ghost story, or you know, like a made-for-TV version of a, of a ghost story, where everything feels very mm-hmm. set on a stage and, yeah. and, and done by people who are, you know mainly mainly shoot plays or, or something like that. And you know, I couldn't have been more wrong. Thank, thankfully, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, oh, this is very dynamic, right? Yeah. It's super. It's shockingly so, and yeah, you know. Going into it, I didn't know who the director was, but you know, looking through some of his other work, like you know, uh, Dirty Mary and Crazy Larry, is is a, is a great car chase movie. Yeah, um, the the guy knows what he's doing. Um, what, what's the other one? You know, he shot for the Avengers, but you know, that's yeah, the TV, um, the TV series, not the. Right. Not yeah, the superhero yeah. movie. Yeah, I won't hold Howling Four against him because you know everybody's got to make a paycheck in their later life. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, he uh, did that. Yeah, the Incubus. He did, oh, he, he directed did the Watcher in the Woods. The Watcher in the Woods. And, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. I actually watched that not again not too long ago. Um, I need to get a. I need to track out a copy of that because it's been so long since I've seen it that it's. Uh, I will it's warn you, it's terrible. it it doesn't quite hold up, but it's right. it's definitely. Um, well, he did, uh, you know, Escape yeah. to Wish Mountain. And, you know, yeah. 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 I mean, he did really, really interesting films. Right. Um, and Watch from the Woods is one of them. I mean, it's definitely an interesting film, but it's it's a made-for-TV 1970s movie. Right. Um, but um, with, a, 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 I think, visibly drunk Betty Davis. But um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely a, an interesting film. Um, but this movie is just so visually... Uh, uh, astonishing in yeah. many in many ways that every time i watch it i'm once again like kind of re-impressed with how well this is shot yeah, um and how unique it is and where right. it's shot um especially like i said for the time you know being, yeah um this is another one of those 70s, you know it's 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 yeah. not um it's not what you would we would expect going in let's just i'll just put yeah yeah i was gonna say this is another one i was gonna say this about eyes wide shot as well Mm -hmm. that both of them i think were ahead of its time in terms of like the a24 Mm -hmm. era right that uh eyes wide shot and this would be two films that would fit right in with a24 they might be a little bit more ponderous but Mm -hmm. um uh particularly eyes wide shot but um and you get more ponderous than eyes wide shot (laughs) i think you can but um (laughs) that was that that movie was but that movie was a little longer than it needed. Oh, um, that, 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 well, absolutely. <laughs> Kubrick, absolutely. Kubrick would have edited that thing down a little bit more. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. 
uh it has one too many acts but yeah right. it's um you know and there was there was a whole you know conversation we were going to have about that but right um you know in that i was going to acknowledge there are weaknesses in eyes wet shut but i love that movie right um but but my point is that both of them would be like they're they're early sort of predecessors of um not predecessors um uh ancestors right of or maybe or whatever i don't know yeah, it's yeah, very late but right. um ahead of their time in the sense that a24 kind of this is what they look like right but it's what they look like back then um where this is very artsy uh eyes wet shots very artsy right um and are very much about uh the more about the themes than they are about the plot and i think that's a24 uh that kind of film is right we're really way more interested in the themes mm -hmm. uh than we are about our story our story isn't that important it's more of right. an excuse to talk about the metaphor <laughs> and i think that's what both those films both this and eyes wet shut bring to the table is uh, a particular focus on what we're really talking about and not so much what we're talking about directly if that makes right. sense yeah it makes sense yeah that um but yeah this is uh this would fit right in i think with a24 like the way it though how dynamically it's shot how un unusual it's shot right um and uh and just uh, uh as an actor's piece mm -hmm. um I think I, I feel like I don't know. What do you think about that analogy? I think it's pretty apt. I think it's got the flavor of, you know, a, a modern, you know, art know, house horror, art house horror. You yeah. know, I hate using that term because so it do like I, I being, but feels like I'm being, you know, condescending towards it, even though, you know, I love it. But um, or or using the term elevated horrors the same way. Like, I feel like, yeah. it's, you know, short it's it's selling it short for what it is yeah well um, it's what it is a shorthand it's a it's a yeah, label right. it's a label for something we haven't figured out a label for yet right right um but yeah but just yeah, like when people say a24 yeah. right it's it's it would be one of the better a24 uh films in, in my opinion that you know not an a24 fan i i am i uh, but yeah. you know some of their films have uh struck me as you know not being that great and uh mm -hmm. worthy of you know the acclaim that a24 gets but i mean you know the majority of the films that i think of when i think of a24 are fucking phenomenal so, right right you know. yeah i was gonna say the same thing yeah i was like gonna right. say you know i'm like oh well, you know ari oster and right, uh, right robert eggers and you know yeah. some even, of the even like what do you know like the lesser known ones like saint Maud, you know like yes yeah. you know just fucking amazing you know was that a24 or was that, that um was a24 i believe yeah I I think, be yeah it might be right there are a couple that are like them doesn't matter um, yeah. but yeah but uh, as far as art house horror is concerned right. or elevated horror or whatever you want to actually call yeah. it but this being but, a straightforward horror movie you know in its bones like but it really did feel like you know an art house horror kind of kind of vibe to it um and maybe a predecessor to uh, now you have me doing it. Um, mm. <laughs> a forerunner to you know the um, the uh, studio rebellion of the seventies. You know that you know took America by storm and you know knocked mm. knocked, knocked out the studio film entirely. You know in, in America. Yeah. Um, it feels like you know that kind of auteur uh, driven driven film that you know 
the later in the seventies would be known for. Yeah. We're using predecessor correctly. Okay. I don't good. know why we're not. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> it's I thought late. It wasn't. And yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it's, it's, we are using predecessor correctly. Right. Uh, just before, I guess in case any of our, our, our grammar nerds uh, listen to right. this and they're like, what are they talking about? They're using predecessor properly, but we are. <laughs> okay. But um, I just looked it up just to be sure. Cause I'm like, right. Oh my God, I'm, it's so late. I can't remember the definition right. of predecessor. Um, You've been up for a hundred hours and I haven't eaten yet. And you know, it's yeah. just the whole thing. Yeah. It's normal, normally we do okay with these late nights. Oh, they never recordings, but uh, yep. occasionally we do start to lose steam. And I think we've hit that point. So right. uh, anything else we want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, no, I think just check it out. It's uh, yeah. I, I missed it. Uh, missing it as a kid because I, I wasn't really that into those stories when I was growing up and uh I wasn't very into British film either when, when I was growing up. So I never watched it back then. And I kind of wish that I had because it's really good. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, get, having to see, seen it now, you know, I, I think of the years misspent. <laughs> yeah. Are you more into ghost stories now? Or are you, are you pumped yes. for next month or? Um, yeah, I am. It's, it's not like the only genre of horror that I don't really care for overall. Um, not that there aren't good films in the genre uh is is animal attack movies like i don't oh, much okay. care for those like Cujo's really good you know day of the animal is, is a classic for other reasons so. yeah oh there's a there's a curve on that yeah, yeah. Right. i mean like yeah animal attack movies there's either there's like there's really good ones and then there's right. a lot of other ones yeah. and uh so yeah i get that but i mean i think the same is true of almost any subgenre. right uh, i think we talked about that with vampires we're like when in reality there's only like you know 30 good vampire movies and then like there's a bunch of other stuff um you know werewolves are deaf like werewolves i think i've I've narrowed it down to there are like 12 good werewolf movies and then there's everything else um but yeah i think we we've got some good haunted house movies coming up next month so um i think that'll be a lot of fun um you uh you went the opposite direction i did and i think that's Mm going to make for a good um uh, a good set of films um but um but yeah, it's it's Legend of Alice is a, is a great film. I I do recommend that uh, check it out. Unfortunately, it's not streaming right now, right. Um, as of the good date of this recording. Um, but uh, it's worth paying for. It's, I think it's so. worth paying yeah. for. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really lovely film. Um, it's simple. It's not. Uh, it, but it's very showy. It's very uh, and it's a, right. it's a great actress piece. Um, heavy with the metaphor. Heavy with the uh, subtext. But it um, it doesn't. It's a really simple film. I think most haunted house films are. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, what we're to, we're not talking about anything too complicated. It's what the characters bring to that location, right? Uh, that works. But I mean, as we said, this is a movie that was made by I think entire cast and crew is like a dozen top people. of their game yeah yeah and they're all top only, of their game here yeah but they're all doing phenomenal work um right. but yeah it is like the actual full list of people involved in this film is very small right um which is remarkable too in and of itself that mm-hmm. you can you can have a movie that has like 80 million people working on it and it's not a fraction of as, as good as right. this movie has turned out to be so it's a modern horror movies have more writers than this has crew you know yeah that yeah, very true yeah um well this is all just um matheson just right. the screenplay um one director 
a couple set designers, a wardrobe mistress, a camera operator, and right. you know, that's pretty much it. Lighting people, yeah, a couple of grips. You know, it's a pretty small crew. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, Viva, uh, low budget filmmaking, right? You know, um, this is what you can do on a good day with that, I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a great film. I think we got some great, uh, uh, great haunted house movies coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did, uh, we thought we should have did mention since this is the end of our Christmas month as well, that right. this movie takes place in the week of Christmas. That's why it was chosen. Right. Um, in the novel, it ends on Christmas day. Um, in this, oh, it ends cool. on Christmas Eve. Right. But, um, uh, in fact, the, the, the end of the novel is right before Lionel is killed. The old man who hired him calls him, uh mm -hmm. no the the uh he gets a phone call that the old man who hired him is dead really? and that the son of the old man who doesn't believe in any of it will mm -hmm. refuses to pay him oh. and so the all, whole thing is for nothing right um and then um and then he dies and then fisher uh fisher uh lionel's wife is not involved in the climax he sends mm -hmm. her fisher sends her away oh, okay. and does it himself um although i think she might come back i can't remember but um and it takes place in maine not london right. or england or whatever but um i did want to mention that that there was a reason for this it was it took takes place the week of christmas right uh so i wanted to to cover it in december so that's right but anybody was wondering why the fuck we suddenly were like you know here's a random haunted house movie oh, in the middle of christmas month well know? i mean i started off the christmas month with fucking you know the chopping mall for god's that sake. is true so, I mean, yeah so yeah which, um but yeah there, there couldn't be less christmas in that movie if it tried yeah, you know yeah well other than this movie outright stating uh you know giving you the constant updates of time right um which is a weird choice i admit yeah um but um, although it's interesting to see it, like they literally will have it. It's how long characters have been out, but mm -hmm. uh, it's like 15 minutes later, right. um, which is a very strange choice. But it does outright state that it takes place. It starts on December 17th and ends on December right. 24th. Um, so, yeah, that's the reason. Uh, mm -hmm. In case anybody was wondering if you made it this far and you were wondering, held in suspense the whole time as to why we chose this movie for December. That is why. Because it turned so, out the ghost was the ghost of Santa all along. Yeah, uh, Belasco was uh, was late to Scrooge's house that day, right? Uh, <laughs> because Fisher killed him um, by calling him a limp dick pussy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I guess I will. Before Sam takes us out, I will. Right. Uh, I will. I will sign off for Christmas month by wishing everybody a happy holidays, and um, I hope you guys have enjoyed our uh, our Christmas offerings this year. And I'm um, really psyched to um, where our New Year's special is up next. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do um, The Haunting of Bly Manor right. um, as the spiritual sequel to our last year's New Year's show. So I think that's going to be fun. That's going to be a great conversation. Yeah. Uh, you never saw that's that a good show, guess. right? No, I have not. All right. That's a good guest lined up for that, you know? Yeah. I'm excited to see what you'll uh, what you'll say about it. I know what our guests are going to say about it. But right. um we know we know Jamie well enough, particularly mm -hmm. at this point, that we have a pretty good idea what's going to happen. Right. But um, it's going to be a lot of um, that leading man there that she really likes, whose name I always forget. Um, he was in Hill House. He was he was Luke in Hill House. Um, but 
it. It's not it's Henry be Thomas. No, no. Okay. The young guy, the heroin addict in the Hill House. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. I don't Oliver. Oliver, I think, is his first name. I can't remember. Sure. But anyway, um, but anyway, I, I ingest. But no, it's going to be a fun conversation. I'm really excited yeah. to see what you think of mm-hmm. Pine Manor, uh, particularly in um, contrast to Hill House. Right. They're they they have a uh they're similar but different and so right. i'm 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 curious as to what your response is going to be so i'm looking forward to that but uh happy holidays to uh to all of you from me and um yep. thank you for listening to uh at the devil's ball and uh, now sam you go ahead i'm gonna shut up and you uh all right well, up. happy holidays to you nathaniel um so oh, I didn't. I didn't wish you a happy holidays. No. I wished everybody else a happy holidays. You don't. Everybody care. but me. Everybody. Uh, fine. You. No, yeah. happy happy holidays, Sam. <laughs> I, I I'm sure I will talk to you before right. uh, Christmas, anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to thank you all for listening. Um, it's always you know greatly appreciated that you're you're engaged with the show and, and listening and just knowing that somebody's out there listening. You know, gives us strength. Um, even though we do it, you know, probably even if nobody was listening, but, uh, you know, very true. But, uh, we, we always like to hear that, you know, somebody's listening out there. Um, so with that, thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's the holiday season, you know, so watch out for one another. It's, uh, not getting any better out there anytime soon. Um, I don't think so. Just watch out for each other, you know, get each other's backs, uh, you know, as we used to say in the in the concert scene, if somebody falls down in the pit, you know, you, you help them back up. Uh, back in your old uh, punk days. Yeah, back in metalhead metal days. days. Yep, yeah, metalhead days. Um, so with that, uh, I just remind you to uh, be kind, rewind, but mostly be kind. Thank you. Oh,